welcome to the new Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. I am very excited about this one because it means that I will have released all three of my backlogged episodes that I didn't release from October of 2020. So these are like from the vault, just now being listened to by you. Very exciting. So this one is with Will Marsh, who is a sitar player and student of Indian classical music. And let's just get right into it. Here we go. Oh, welcome, uh, Will Marsh. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, You have a really fun backdrop. (laughs) I'm distracted by your fun backdrop. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Well... You want to get behind the scenes, I see. Okay. (laughs) Well, this staircase leads to my bed. I live in a studio with my partner, and so we created a loft so that there's room for me to practice music and hang my instruments underneath. I don't know if you can see them, but there's a bunch of instruments over there. And so (laughs) that is our bed, and then the kitchen is over here, and this is... uh, our designated interview space, so to speak. Oh, cool. And you're in California, yeah? I am in the Bay Area in Marin County. Okay, sweet. Yep. Sweet. And are you from there? I am from northern Michigan originally, and I've been living out in California since 2006. I remember reading that. Okay. So it. the question on my mind is, how did a boy from Michigan start playing sitar? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I had a pretty deep interest in music um, before I found the sitar, or rather the sitar found me is kind of how I like to think of it. Um, I I got really into to guitar and I was practicing all the time and I kind of heard about this arts academy that is near where I grew up in northern Michigan and it's called the Interlochen Academy for the Arts. It's pretty um, pretty famous and amazing. And I, I happen brochures for summer camp for them. Oh, cool! Yeah. So you've heard of, heard of their <laughs> summer camps, and so I'm from a little town that's just a half hour from Interlochen called Traverse City. That's where I grew up, and my parents and family mostly still live out there. Um, so I was like really kind of not into this high. St- I was going to a Catholic high school that was like all about football, and I was like, you know, guitar is my thing. Like this isn't jiving, and. I, I heard about the school and I was like, well, I could like major in guitar. That sounds amazing. And I kind of investigated and essentially I auditioned um, on a Fender Stratocaster. I taught myself a classical etude just like a couple of weeks before because I hadn't studied classical music. And, um, you know, the teacher was like, oh, wow, you just learned that in the past couple of weeks, whatever. And um, so I got in and I mean, it's a boarding school so the kids are from all over the world and there was a few of us that they called day students that people that drove into the school but everyone else lived there and it's in the middle of nowhere on a lake in Michigan and like I got to study classical music and jazz and composition and ear training like very intensively in that um, time of my life and it was amazing and through that time I had a really fascination with world music and music from other cultures. Um, So I was intrigued by the California Institute of the Arts, which is in um, near Los Angeles. And they have a world music performance 
its program. And that was like what really piqued me because I, I wanted to study and, and have an experience of this music that I was listening to, but um, hadn't really had a chance to learn. And that's what brought me to California. And that is where the sitar found me was in my first year at CalArts. Oh, cool. So when you were looking at the school in Michigan, you were freshman, sophomore? Yeah, I was a freshman and then I transferred there for my sophomore year. Okay. Okay. So, so most spent, of most of high school. Yeah, my three years. Um, and what kind of guitar were you playing? I studied classical nylon string guitar. And then I also studied jazz um, on an electric guitar. So the the foundation was a lot of classical repertoire. Well, no, I mean, because you said you taught yourself a classical piece for the audition. So like before uh, that. Before then, I was playing like Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and blues and rock. Um, that was really the first music that I was really excited about. And, you know, I got the books, you know, the Zeppelin master book and i really was really in Jimi hendrix and you know clapton so a lot of like classic rock and blues was oh, cool uh, so you were I, teaching yourself until until that experience yeah i was like, taking right? lessons at a guitar shop oh, okay um but it was like yeah more rock based music and yeah cool so when you were at school and you say the sitar found you were you in a class where it was presented to you how did that happen yeah so I, my intention at CalArts was to study this other music, but use it to kind of influence my own composition. I, I didn't intend to like go deep into another instrument that wasn't on my mind. Um, but I got exposed to the sitar. I was in, there's a, it's called the North Indian Ensemble. And so any musician can sign up and our teacher, um, Ustad Ashish Khan would, you know, have compositions that we would um, learn as a group and then we'd have a little concert and so I was in this class playing guitar and just the music and the melodies were like totally hypnotizing and entrancing and I I felt this deep kind of resonance and connection to that music and I realized that you know I can't really do it on guitar I gotta I gotta get my hands um, on one of their instruments and the sitar was not my first choice. I actually first tried the sarod, which is a fretless, um, plucked, um, picked instrument. And it looks more like guitar, and it's the main instrument of um, Ashish Khan's family and legacy. And so it would just seem like a natural choice. And it was super awkward. I couldn't even hold it, and I was just kind of like, whoa, this is weird. And on the day of my first lesson, um, Ashishji like couldn't be there. He had some appointment or something, so he had one of his students um, do the lesson. And and he was like, "Did you ever think about sitar?" And I was like, "No, it just looks really crazy, and I've never tried it." He was like, "Why don't you just sit with it?" I was like, "Okay." And so we had a little room with all these instruments. And when I sat with the sitar, it just like felt natural, and it felt like I it, it synced in in a way that the sarod didn't. And so from that. I was like, okay, I'm playing sitar. And that was that. <laughs> so I watched you play a video with Daniel Paul, mm. uh, which was really cool. I know Daniel Paul. Oh, great. Um, how, did, how did you make that connection? So that's a great story, meeting Daniel. 
Um, it was actually at Bhakti Fest, I believe, in 2015. Have we or met? 16. If we haven't, then we've been walking around in very <laughs> close proximity. <laughs> How funny. Yeah, okay. Um, so, what yeah. Year, sorry? I think 2000, I think it would have been 16. 16 or 15. Oh, okay, okay. And, you know, I was playing kind of like by the cafeteria there in the shade, just practicing. And Daniel came up and, um, you know, he started listening and, and he was actually like counting. I was playing in a cycle and he, I was doing things and he was like, oh, wow, this guy actually knows what he's doing. And so he stayed there and then he said, oh, you know, who do you learn from? And I said, you know, Ashish Khan. And he knew my teacher when my teacher was like in his 30s. Oh, because wow. Daniel Paul was the assistant to Ali Akbar Khan, um, who was my teacher's father. And so we had this instant connection of like, whoa, like, yeah, I knew your teacher and that's great. We were just kind of jived. And he was like, well, I live on Maui, like, come out and we'll do a concert and you can stay with me. I was like, okay. And then I booked a ticket and I literally flew to Maui having had one conversation with him. And I spent a whole week there and we've been very tight ever since. Oh, that's um, so awesome. Yeah. yeah. What a great invite. Of course, I'll come to my oh, <laughs> to like perform and record sitar. Like, heck yeah. Did you guys, so you guys did some recording as well? We did. Um, he released a great uh, album called Ragas for the Seasons. Oh, I have that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're on I'm, that? I'm the sitar track. Oh, okay. Track it number all, three. It all connects. Yeah. Okay. Um. I saw you created a an electric uh, sitar, an amplified sitar. That's right. Is that right? Okay. And so what what was the, were you frustrated by like having to mic it? What did it come from like a, a need? It exactly came from a need. And because I like to, I'm very passionate about traditional sitar music and I perform that, but I also take the sitar into other contexts. And the sitar acoustically is, it's not super loud. And when you're dealing with an external mic, you, you, you just can't cut through the sound. You know, you get feedback and it's just kind of a mess to try and um, have the right sound when you're on stage with, say, a drummer or, or a, a larger group. It's traditionally, sitar would only play with a tabla, so you're just in a duo. And so I was like, you know, I, I need to, you know, I'd be playing at Bhakti Fest with, you know, Gina Salah and whoever on stage, Jayalakshmi and Ananda. And I needed a way to, to have the sitar function in those settings. So um, I found that a, a lot of the sitars that were made in a wood body setting, so it's a little s smaller than the gourd, um, they were all kind of like cheaply made and it was like you can buy an electric sitar but they weren't like um professional quality the electronics weren't great and the sitar itself wasn't great so i started just researching and trying to figure out how can i put together a good electric sitar and it took me about four years of developing what kind of mic where to put the mic how am i going to put the mic in and mount it and all of the details um and then I, I finally emerged with something that I'm happy with. So that's been a, a fun process. And super useful, sounds like. Very useful. I love it. And it's great for recording, too, to have a direct in line. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's been, and, and people have um, been happy 
happy with them too, customers. So cool. Oh, I actually, it's so funny. So when you said BoxyFest, I immediately was like, "Ah, I remember your name. Um, Mm. And I have an email from you from 2013 saying that you were sorry for the inconvenience, but you'll no longer be able to volunteer for BoxyFest. I have a job opportunity that came up and cannot be turned down. Um, So, because I was the volunteer coordinator. For, 2013, um, man, I don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, even <laughs> that. that is crazy. That's so funny. There's a couple of other people that oh. like I, because I didn't really meet everyone. And I mean, I wouldn't have met you anyway, because you didn't end up coming. But um, sometimes when people say, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they volunteered or, huh? or emailed me at some point. Um, but cool. Wow. So you are obviously not touring right now. I'm not. Or maybe that's not obvious, but <laughs> I guess no, there are some know. places you could be I don't touring. Know many people who are. Um, <laughs> but Georgia. No, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I heard Egypt's kind of low key on uh, limitations, yeah. but yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of right here most of the time and and uh, doing other projects to stay busy. Yeah. Um, so you're you're mostly recording and selling instruments? Yes, those are those have been big things. Um, oh. I've also shot an online course that is for musicians really of any background that want to get into raga. Oh, fun. What's that yeah. called? It's called Raga for All Instruments. It is not released yet. I'm also crash coursing how to use Final Cut Pro and edit with a green screen and it's a lot of work, but I'm committed to doing it because I see the long-term value. Um, uh-huh. So that's been a big project. And actually, I'm I'm launching a podcast as well that um, oh, I was sweet. practicing for today. And so that's been a really fun project too. What's your podcast going to be about? It's about it's uh, world music. So I've I've done a lot of work with you know musicians from all over the world, and I'm. The idea is just sharing like about different cultures and how they relate to music. And it's the intention is really to expose people to things that they just might not hear or have access to. And um, yeah, it's going to be called the World Music Podcast. Cool. I'll uh, write that in the podcast notes too. Do you have any idea when that's going to come to the surface? I would say December 1st would be a safe um, launch date. Okay. Oh, how fun. Yeah. I love, I love doing my podcast. It's like the best excuse to meet new people. It's great. Uh, yeah. It's- great way to connect. And, you know, a lot of the people I'm talking with were like, well, we'd rather be touring, but this is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, this is like, it's just, yeah, keeping that inspiration and connection is, is uh, really fun. Yeah. Well, and especially if you're doing something with people all over the world, you can't be with them all the time anyway. Right. Um, it can be with them over Zoom or whatever you're going to be using. Yep. Um, yeah, fun. So tell me a funny story. <laughs> tell me a fun story on your, in your life of touring. Um, I think, um, well, losing my car key was kind of funny afterwards, but not really during. And like, yeah, it was in Santa like Cruz. I was on tour with Lakshmi Nananda and... We had a few days in Santa Cruz. Oh, and we all like mysteriously got sick and were like vomiting. 
and but we had enough days off that nobody like told each other and it was only like a week later they were like wait you were throwing up that day too i was like i was too and we we're like what we were trying Did you to eat think something? we couldn't find anything like particular that that would have caused it um but yeah anyways that was really funny and then where i was staying i my key got like lodged deep in an, in my friend's car who I was staying with and we just never found it and I had to get to the next gig to play and I, I couldn't make the gig because I had to like we were up in the hills and I had to get someone to come and like reprogram a key and do all this stuff and it was just like I feel like these are the things that are like something like that tends to happen on every tour and uh that was just kind of a funny one from the mysterious sickness to the key and uh yeah it, it's funny now but it <laughs> when it happened it rarely is in the moment isn't it like, yeah i i remember being in boston once and it wasn't music related but i was visiting somebody and i did not mentally like it was sort of like like you go into a parking lot and you assume you're going to remember where your car is, but it was on a street in Boston. Mm. And their streets are not like, you know, they, they sometimes run parallel. They sometimes go perpendicular. They're like at all different angles and stuff. So yeah, it's not intuitive. Um, but <laughs> so I lost my, I lost my car for a day. I had to like walk <laughs> the whole, <laughs> walk the whole yeah. block. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how, how much touring have you, had you been doing before this all well, stopped? It's very interesting because I was based in Southern California um, for all my time in California. And so I was living in Encinitas for uh, about four years. And my girlfriend and I just really felt a call to move to the Bay Area. Um, there's a lot of Hindustani music present here and and I work with a lot of musicians up here. And so I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Like, and my whole vision was the kind of performance-based um, world music part of the Bay Area was the whole reason I moved up here. And, you know, it turns out that that will just come when it can. Um, but when I first got up here, it was it was March 1st that we moved up here. Oh, okay. That was like of this year? Of this year, yeah. Oh, okay. So you so already that, knew things were on the fritz i mean not by march 1st no. no it was like oh it's in china oh like i mean from what i remember it wasn't like we're gonna shut down in the u.s it was more like mid-march when oh yeah closing okay. and you yeah. know we already committed to march 1st we moved we bought, rented the truck we got up here great and then and then it all started to unfold and i was kind of like dang like that was my whole vision to be up here um so I didn't have like a big grand tour plan per se, but I was planning to, you know, just kind of rebuild myself up here. And, and a lot of my friends up here are Hindustani musicians. So the vision was to just be working personally. And I love performing classical Indian music. And it's a very um, alive up here in the Bay Area. So, yeah, that was just kind of the the shift for me. And I still love being up here. It's beautiful and I'm happy to be here. And, you know, we're all just, life is unexpected. So um, it will come back around and, you know, that, that's, uh, that was my move. Yeah. What, um, what makes something Hindustani uh, for those sorry. like me who are not? 
sure in the yeah know. yeah let's let's get you in the know so hindustani is a term for the classical music of north india which is very different culturally and musically than the music of south india which is called carnatic music and the distinction between the two is because beginning around the 1300s the moguls who were um, muslims from present-day iran they came into india and kind of overtook control politically and so when they did that they brought their own culture you know from persia and it kind of mixed with what was in already in india and it turned into the style called hindu what we now call hindustani and if you think of like akbar the great and the taj mahal and these places this was the culture that um the type of music like sitar music flourished in and whereas carnatic south indian music remained much more just kind of purely indian and the hindustani north has the influence of persia would you say that when people you know bl blanketly say indian music meaning from the from the country um of india hmm. would you think we're hearing more hindustani or more like does which sounds more typical do you think to like the western ear well hindustani was the first to become a little more heard and, and prevalent for example ravi shankar and the beatles that that was all hindustani music okay. um in the tabla and so I think um, Hindustani kind of made the first impression at large in the West. Um, but now it's both are still pretty prevalent. There's um, a famous violinist from South India who composed a lot of music, El Subramaniam. He worked with Frank Zappa and his, the band Shakti. He was a part of that. And so now there's a pretty strong presence of both. But the first wave was through uh, Hindustani music and um, really, it was Ravi Shankar who did a lot to spread the awareness of the music. And, you know, he performed at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. So mm -hmm. that was all from Hindustani. Does, does the, um, do the two types of music employ similar instruments or do they have very distinct they're, instruments? They're pretty distinct. Um, for example, the sitar is not a traditional South Indian instrument, so it's mainly played in the Hindustani style and emerged from that time. The sitar itself, in its current form, isn't. It's only a few hundred years old, but it it grew from you know older instruments and kind of morphed into um, what it is now. And so, in South Indian instruments like the veena are are still very common. Um, the violin is very common in South. It's also used in North, but um, I actually spoke with a, interviewed a violinist and she was saying that they had bowed instruments very similar to the violin before it was ever brought as the violin. Mm. And so, yeah, there's, um, if you think of like the really old school Indian instruments, those are still used a lot in, in the South. And in the north, like the tabla is very much a North Indian instrument. It comes from the pakawage, which is a, a barrel-shaped drum, which one hand plays on each side. And the story is that someone like chopped it in half, and then you had two drums for two hands. So there's there's a lot of really fascinating. Is that like history. the murdanga? Yeah, it's like the murdanga. The pakawage is a is a deeper um, version of the murdanga. Yeah. 
That's so interesting. And especially about the violin. Um, so that's an import, obviously. Do you know where where that well, came from? It's really trippy, though, because I asked this question, and what I learned was that the bowed instrument, like, it had one string with a longer neck from India called the, what was it called? Um, the the Ravana Veena, I, I believe. I, I have to research again, but... So that was present in India like long, long time ago. And then that actually spread west and was brought to like Afghanistan and became the Rabab. And then so actually what I found was that the origin of the violin is most likely from India. And it went and became the what is known as the violin in Europe. But the idea and the origin of the instrument came from India, which I had no idea. I didn't either. That's that's really fascinating. Really cool. And also not, I mean, not totally surprising considering how many things have come from the East to the West that exactly, we don't yeah. realize. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Thank you for that. Um, for sure, yeah. So, so besides the, the instruments, the fact that it's, um, that the Hindustani is based or is, is sort of a melding between Persian and, and Indian cultures, are the ragas the same? They're different? They're different. Okay. There's some that are use pretty much the same notes, but the treatment is very different. And yeah, there, there's a different um, different repertoire. Okay. And, and I, sorry, and for those listening who don't know what the word raga means, it's a scale basically, yes? Um, I wouldn't call it a scale because it's much more complex than a scale, but it's it's like a musical uh, form or a musical um, a piece of repertoire. And it's based on concepts of scale, but, but it's really um, very a specific melody. It's a mel melodic system. Raga mm -hmm. is a melodic system. Um, so, sorry, so you were you were saying though about the the difference between the ragas, right? So, um, yeah, the treatment is different, and the you know I haven't studied South Indian music deeply, so I can only speak about what I know, and I've studied Hindustani very deeply. So, what I can tell is that there, yeah, there's different treatments, um, a different kind of inflection and way of using ornaments. And also, like, yeah, in the South, there's rags that people don't play in the North. Um, but, for example, there have been rags from South India that now have been brought to the North Indian style and become popular in, like, the past 60 years. It's kind of like something, uh, for example, Ravi Shankar did that with a few rags. He, he decided to play them in the Hindustani style when they were originally from uh, the Carnatic style. So they're, they're very... Um, different music traditions that share kind of some of the same building blocks. Um, but it's, it's very humbling when you're studying this music and you realize that, you know, one instrument in one style is more than a lifetime's work. It's, um, yeah, there, there's a lot going on. So I'm, I'm speaking more from a Hindustani base. Yeah. Well, and I don't think that there's an instrument in like Western repertoire, correct me if I'm wrong, that requires quite as much tuning and <laughs> fine tuning as, as the sitar, yes? Or maybe a piano? I don't know, but we don't do that every time we play it. 
Yeah, it's got a lot of strings. I mean, imagine a harp is a lot of tuning. Um, That's true. Yeah. But yeah, there there's a lot of a lot of strings to tune and sitting on the ground with your leg underneath you to play it. Um it's yeah. <laughs> it's How much my... practicing like daily have you had to or do you currently do as part of this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I was kind of in college I, I had more time and I would play often six hours a day um, sometimes eight wow. and that really is what you need to develop the foundational techniques um, traditionally you spend about 10 years just playing technique and scale before you're really taught much about the musical presentation um, so I I really used that time to my advantage in, in school and we had this little room that was the Indian music room and I would like fall asleep in there late at night and wake up and start playing again. Um, and so that really was helpful to have that time. And now I, 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 I play every day. I, I don't go a day without playing. And I try to get in at least an hour, two hours is great. Um, but for me, it's important to make it every day. Um, we have a really thick callus to play the sitar and I don't like to lose that callus. So for me, it's more about like an hour every day at least. One? Uh, callus? Mm -hmm. uh, actually, three. There's, um, there's one on the, from the pick. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And then the other two are from the playing fingers. So yeah, these are from bending the string. And then the one on the right hand is you wear a very tight metal pick that clamps onto your finger. And so that kind of creates a, a callus. Wow. It's like yeah. A, yeah. You will you will know your your sitar brothers and sisters by their hands, I suppose. It, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of dedication. When you were playing six to eight hours a day, did that feel meditative or, or were there moments of like frustration? in trying to get things right what what is what was that like often it was very meditative and even if you're just playing the basic scales on the sitar it's such a beautiful instrument that it's just being with the resonance of the instrument is very magic and and then getting into the ragas themselves is is a really devotional um, practice but it was challenging just getting used to the sitting and getting comfortable and you know having to get up and your leg is so asleep that you can't even walk and you know I kind of had to acclimate to that um, but it was all the the enjoyment and kind of the meditation quality was was very prominent so it allowed me to work through you know the pain and the discomfort there's a lot going on here mm -hmm. you're hearing yeah playtime noises um cool well what what do you have um planned next besides your awesome course and your podcast not that there has to be anything else that sounds like quite a bit <laughs> but well, i felt inspired to ask you no that's a good question i'm i'm recording um november 7th i'm i'm starting an album that is very exciting for me because i feel that it's 
integrating all the music I've studied in my life. You know, we're talking about, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin on guitar, and that is a part of my roots. And then getting deep into Hindustani music, and I studied a lot of other music at CalArts. And I feel that there's kind of naturally emerged this sound and style that really is unique to my musical um, experience. And so I've I've got a number of pieces, the first of which I'm recording um, November 7th, um, and it's just very exciting. I'm going to release the tracks as singles, I believe, and um, this is Smart. just a really fun project. Yeah, yeah, and it really, like, feels like me, and, you know, I... I didn't, ha it's not like a concept of like, oh, I want to fuse music. It's like, no, this is music that came just from me. And uh, it's just really, f it feels really good and satisfying. So that um, that's something I'm super excited about. So is this going to be instrumental? It is instrumental. Sorry, my, my children's... Um, play sounds have reached a critical <laughs> critical mass hold on one second cool um what are we talking your album oh yeah so it's going to be instrumental and i think i think we i think we might be done <laughs> this has been really lovely well i'm it was really nice to hear what you're what you're uh what you're doing i will share um i'll i will share your links so do you want to tell people how they can connect with you and find out what you're doing Definitely. So you can find me um, via willmarshmusic.com. That is my website. You'll be up to date on all my releases there. Um, and you can reach me through that website. So willmarshmusic.com. Cool. I'll include that in the podcast notes. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much and have a beautiful day. And I'll let you know when this comes out. Awesome. It's great to meet you and connect. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fun with those kiddos. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. For more conversations like this and to help us share this podcast, please subscribe on the platform of your choice as well as leave us a comment. To keep in touch with me and receive updates, please sign up for my newsletter at portersinger.com. You'll get a free download as well as receive updates on my self-healing sound courses, workshops, and other community building events that I'm creating. Have a beautiful day.